Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have completed a full season of Star Trek for the sake of making a podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. These are these are all going out, right? Like people know about this? Yes. <laughs> so many people know about it. <laughs> We're getting emails from all corners of the globe. It's hard to believe there was ever a time when we made this show that people didn't. Like we, yeah. our, our intention from the start was to just vanity press the shit out of this. Yeah. Well, and I think it was about episode five that our friend Sarus Farvar wrote a uh, I mean, he's our friend now. We didn't really know him at that time, but uh, he wrote a very nice article about us in Ars Technica, which really, uh, really blew up the spot. And uh, and uh, I guess the rest is history, Adam. Sure is. We're, uh, this is sort of a celebratory episode, isn't it? The end of uh, yeah, first I mean, season for the show, end of the first season for our podcast. Yeah. And I mean, you know, looking back, Season one is is full of pretty rough episodes, and we've had a couple we've had a couple episodes where it took the redemptive power of Riker boner jokes to make <laughs> make fun out of what was otherwise you know pretty dismal television. But overall, I think season one maybe gets a worse rap than it deserves. Yeah, I think you know sexualizing anything that is that is devoid of sexualization uh, can make anything yeah. a little more fun. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that it's been very cathartic for me as well. Like thinking about thinking back to my uh, West Hot American summer, thinking back to your trip to the uh, trading card dealer. Yeah. You know, and and the various other embarrassing moments we've suffered, some of the new embarrassing moments that we've had since we started this show. Sort of like the end of this episode we're about to review. You know, there are so many more adventures ahead for us in the in the realm of embarrassment that I'm really excited to see what's out there, both for us and the show. It is a Well, I guess we should probably kick it off, huh? Yeah. Uh, coming up for us is uh, the season finale of season one uh, called The Neutral Zone. And it's your pretty standard unfrozen caveman lawyer episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> I don't understand your <laughs> complicated cellular technology. Sometimes when I get a message on my fax machine, I wonder, did little demons get inside and type it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so uh the opening shot is kind of a kind of a circa 1990s NASA space probe looking thing flying around in space outside of the Enterprise. And uh, they're doing some scans. They're like, this is an old hunk of space junk. And normally, like, an interesting enough discovery, but 
the captain is coming back from an important conference and again with the conferences yeah <laughs> yeah um this time he remembered to take off his plastic name badge before he walked outside of the convention center <laughs> uh hope he remembered his dot bag this time oh yeah <laughs> uh you know if you forget any toiletries you can just ring down at the front desk Mm-hmm. They have everything up to and including a dental dam available, uh, which may or may not double as a shower cap. There are no dental dams in the future, just like I'm pretty sure there are no dental dams in the present. <laughs> yeah, they're called shower caps, Adam. <laughs> uh, but Data kind of... Uh, kind of puts in a word with Riker and says, hey, why don't, while, you know, we have a couple hours before the captain gets back and I would love to uh, poke around on this, on this, on this, uh, on this junk that is floating around out here (laughs) and uh, see what's what. He wants to poke the junk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Data's not above poking the junk. (laughs) He is fully functional. Yeah. Trained in every technique. And Riker's like, all right. As as long as uh, as long as you're back on board and and uh, ready to go before the captain, before the captain's shuttlecraft docks, like go sick, do whatever you want. And Data starts walking off the bridge, and Riker's like, "Wharf, you go with him." And <laughs> this is a great moment for me because Data looks so excited that Wharf is going to get on <laughs> on the turbo lift with him. It's like it's, it's like Brent Spiner like made very few choices to be like. <laughs> visibly emotional with this character and this is like this is you know and it's like definitely like outside of what the character should be capable of but it was so sweet like Worf is like walking over to the turbo lift and Data just has like a big old grin on his face like yeah my buddy Worf is coming woo (laughs) I guess if there's one person who could understand what it's like to be data more than anyone on the ship it's got to be Worf, right they're the two outcasts they're the two others maybe maybe that's what data understands i feel that so uh so they beam over to this thing and there's kind of a lot more lights uh on than you would think for a 370 year old space probe Uh, but uh the computer's still working the solar generator is still working and they get it all fired up and um there's a there's a big door big circular door and Worf walks over to it and does what i like to call the klingon pratfall which is when you walk into an automatic door that doesn't automatically trigger <laughs> i was surprised that but, he didn't leave a big grease stain like where his forehead is <laughs> Or or just like make a Kool-Aid manhole in it, you know? Like, oh yeah. <laughs> like he's a Klingon. He's he's a tough dude. He yeah. should just bust right through that fucker. Well, he wasn't he wasn't strong enough to open it. He gave that job to Data. Yeah, well he he uh you know Worf is uh is taking uh taking his job as as the muscle of the enterprise very seriously so he's not thinking too hard about he wanted to blow the thing open with a phaser which was a great instinct i thought <laughs> yeah he's really like uh the the spirit of tasha yar is alive and well in in <laughs> lieutenant wharf um, <laughs> but uh they get the door open and it's full of these tubes that uh that any seasoned sci-fi watcher will immediately identify as cryostasis chambers. And uh, they start, like, rubbing the the ice and 
and uh and frost away from from the uh windows and the first couple that they they do it on have like ghoulish desiccated corpses in them uh but the third one has a hot blonde inside of it This uh, so this reveal was meant to be pretty shocking. They do that thing where they they wipe the condensation from the window of the of the yeah. chamber and reveal a couple of dead guys, a couple of crispy critters, and then uh, <laughs> before revealing the live ones, and yeah. this brought to mind uh, maybe a little game I can play with you, Ben. You want to play a game with me? I'll play a game. The game is called What Can the Enterprise Sensors Detect? (laughs) And uh, it's a simple game. You can either answer yes or no to uh, the following items. And and you just tell me whether the Enterprise Sensors can detect the following things. Okay? Okay. Lay it on me. Ships. Yes. I'll, I'll say yes. All right. Planets. Yes. Weapons. Yes. No, that's actually wrong. Uh, sensors oh, can't really? detect weapons, and uh, we know this from the many people that they've beamed on board the ship that have either <laughs> had weapons on them, had or weapons, parts of weapons. Uh, like squirreled away on their person, like parts of weapons, or their hands were weapons themselves, like uh, like those electric eel hillbillies that we got a couple episodes ago. That's true. So wrong answer there. And then finally, life signs. Yeah. Uh. Here's why I ask that. Why the hell is this a surprise to anyone? Yeah. Like, like I mean, they should have picked this up. This is uh, this is a clearly a problem with. Uh, I mean, they're they're able to detect like signs of life on on planet surfaces which are much further away and through all these interfering things like atmosphere and magnetospheres uh when they're all in the orbit spheres. over planets but like but like a a tin can that's been floating in space for 400 years with no real shielding of any kind they're like whoa there's there's bodies it, you know? it should be the easiest thing for them to pick up on. And yeah. it doesn't, I mean, that wouldn't do us any favors in the drama department. But no. maybe it would. Maybe it would be equivalent, you know? We're getting some life signs yeah. on this thing that's 500 years old. Why don't you go right. investigate? What, it would still yeah, be what an is effective that? reveal. Yeah, opening that door would be a cool surprise, you know? Sure. Um, good point, Adam. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. That is the cue for um, the opening credit sequence. And when we come back, Picard is returning. And, you know, he's, like, docking in the shuttle bay. And Data radios up and says, like, hey, guys, like, uh, you know, I don't think we should just leave these bodies. Like, this... this uh, this probe is is headed for a sun it's going to burn up if nobody uh does anything about it and it just feels weird to leave these people here so why don't we uh why don't we take them with us and uh we'll figure something out later 
So Riker's like, all right, uh, you can you can do that. You can't help but wonder, seeing an episode and a storyline like this, would you want to be frozen and then reanimated in a in a 24th century future? Do you have a position on this? I mean, um, you know, I uh, it's definitely something I thought a lot about as a kid, probably in no small part due to this episode introducing the idea to me. Yeah. But uh, I've never, uh, I haven't thought about it so much as an adult, which is sort of when you kind of make those kinds of decisions. I mean, like, I I don't even know if it's still a thing. Like, like can you still get a... Uh, a cryonics package for when you die or I think so. I think that's still a thing. Well, I would, uh, I would look into it, but I don't think my wife would allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. When, when you die, she wants you to stay dead. Yeah. (laughs) I think my wife would probably agree. Uh, so Picard gets on the bridge and he is like, got a real bee in his bonnet about getting, getting underway. And, uh, he gives Jordy some some coordinates to head toward at warp eight, which is uh, almost as as warpy as you can get. Um, and Jordy goes, Captain, that's uh, that's neutral zone territory you're heading us into. And Picard's like, Yeah, Jordy, I'm the fucking captain. Like, I know what I'm, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, you know, no sooner has he has he uh, had Jordy lay in this course than he calls a big meeting. And uh, this is uh, a bunch of the senior staff get together in the wardroom and and uh, talk about the fact that uh, stuff is up in the neutral zone. There are some outposts that they've lost contact with, and uh, it's all along the neutral zone. And uh, the only thing that the Federation can, can kind of come up with is the idea that this is a foray into Federation space by the Romulans who haven't really been heard of in a long time. Like they've, they've been out of the picture, uh, in a big way. Yeah. For like 50 years, I think it was, it was mentioned. Yeah. This storyline you might think is the A story to this episode, but it's not. Uh, no. I, I feel like the whole neutral zone Romulan storyline constitutes maybe 10% of the overall episode, which yeah, uh, I think to that's me was fair. an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's where all of the menace and tension in the episode is. Like, I mean, this scene uh, that we're talking about, like, you know, when they when the second the neutral zone comes up, Worf is like Romulans and and uh, Picard uh, Picard is. It's like, yeah, that's what we're kind of thinking. And the the music is tense. Like the, I, I think the acting is really good. They're, they're all like, definitely like, oh shit, like things are about to pop off. And then it winds up being kind of a, like almost a stage play. Like almost all of this episode takes place in one room. Right. Which we'll get to momentarily. One of the things I was considering when I was watching this scene was like how much how much planning was involved for an interaction that they were looking forward to versus how much of it they would just leave for the moment. Like they just sort Mm -hmm. of round table what they were going to do when they ever met up with the Romulans. And, you know, a good part of the room was like, we got to go in there and kick some ass. Like that's what they're going to respect. But, uh, but it's Picard's thinking and it's the thinking of the, of the people that he was in the conference with that they've got to go out there pretty chill. And yeah, 
They don't want to. They don't want to ruffle the feathers of these warbirds. Right. Right. Just kept talking in one long, incredibly unbroken sentence, moving from topic to topic, so that no one had the chance to interrupt. It was really quite hypnotic. Nodding. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, "What do I need a website for?" I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Going to A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. The other storyline, Crusher has thawed out the humans. Which is a pretty, like, pretty crazy executive decision, like, Oh, well, we, these are aboard. I guess I'll revive them. <laughs> yeah, I you wish know. we got to see that too. Like, uh, yeah, like I don't know. That that would have been fun. So yeah. this is also done completely outside of Picard's knowledge as well. So yeah, uh, Crusher tells Picard that this has happened after the fact. So the captain rolls in a sick bay to check it out, and there he's confronted with our three surviving. Uh, capsule people yeah and he's like yeah pretty quick to uh hop on the computer communicator and call data down, down to the bridge and it's pretty evident that data is in big trouble <laughs> it's like like I, I almost like when data is on the bridge and like gets up from his chair i almost wanted everybody else to be like Ooh. <laughs> yeah that was a real sitcom uh live studio <laughs> audience moment right there <laughs> yeah seriously so let's meet our three our three unfrozen cavemen, okay? Yeah. We've got Claire, Claire the homemaker, who was the first one that they wiped the condensation off of. Uh, that was the right. first one that they saw in the capsule. Uh, she's like, she's like a real mom vibe lady. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Talk she's like, she's like in her forties. You know, pretty, pretty average looking. I think they're all pretty average looking. Uh, we've got Ralph, the financier, who's played by. Peter Mark Richman, who I read yeah. was a, a character actor of 500 TV roles. I didn't even know that was wow. possible. 500 roles. Damn. Yeah, he so looks that guy's been like, around. You know, uh, our friend John Roderick, uh, in his famous roasting of us on uh, his Roadwork podcast, uh, accused us of looking like people from the past. Yeah. Ralph Offenhouse looks like a man from the past. Like, yep. he looks, he looks like somebody that like started a a brewery in the 1800s you know he looks like if leather and tobacco could be a person <laughs> yeah that is peter mark richmond i feel like yeah. i've seen him in everything too he's a total that guy to- absolutely absolutely uh, and our third guy his name is lq sonny clements who is a musician who uh, who were told died of a drug overdose, or at least he was in severe organ failure before he was put into the capsule. And he's another yeah, familiar Yeah, I think dude. Uh, much in the same way that Johnny Carson used to uh, send monologue jokes to David Letterman well after Carson retired, I feel like uh, Nancy Reagan sent a few... <laughs> uh, a, f- a few like bits for Captain Picard to get on his high horse about Sonny right. Clemens being a, a, a drug user. Right. And Sonny Clemens is played by Leon Rippey. And you might know him from Deadwood. Do you, did you ever watch Deadwood? Uh, no, we've actually talked about this uh, off air before. I, I, never, I never watched it. Well, uh, it's fantastic. And he played Tom Nuttall. Uh, one of the saloon owners in Deadwood, and he is amazing in that show. He's amazing in an amazing show. Nice. So there's our three unfrozen cavemen, and they are yeah. a little shocked to be there. Yeah, and and you know, like I feel like this premise has been 
has been done in sci-fi a million times. I'm actually reading a novel right now called Ancillary Justice, where one of the characters has been frozen for a thousand years and is newly back to the living world and kind of trying to adjust to it. And, uh, and I feel like the moments, uh, the moments of like first sort of being, you know, having, having the situation laid on them mm-hmm. are, are not that like, they don't really play up what a crazy head fuck that is, you know? The only one who seems shocked is Claire, and that's just at seeing Worf's forehead. Right, yeah. She 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 was like, boy, that meatloaf went real bad. <laughs> the other two seem more or less okay. They just seem concerned about uh, their surroundings and, and their possessions. Yeah, she, she w- didn't sign up for being uh, put on ice. Yeah, she was the only one there against her will, yeah. So these people were were put on ice in 1994. It's now 370 years later, and they kind of each have different a different agenda. Ralph Offenhaus really thinks quite highly of himself and thinks he's super rich and that he's got uh, you know bank assets that are just going to be incredibly valuable at this point. I have to phone Geneva right away about my accounts. <laughs> By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. So that's his deal. Claire is very upset that she's been disconnected from her family. I keep thinking about my boys. I mean, she she also, I think these other two guys knew that they were dying when they died. And she had like a brain aneurysm or something like that and just kind of like, dropped dead at the age of 35 so she's got a lot more to go through you know she had two sons and a husband that she's never going to see again and uh at one point like troy comes and kind of helps her try and try and look at the genealogical records that the mormons have no doubt loaded into the memory banks of the enterprise and that's like very therapeutic for her and sunny is just is just chilling but he's kind of bored what do you guys do I mean, you don't drink and you ain't got no TV. Like he wants to get a party going and he calls Data down to, uh, to like start making plans for a party. And, uh, it's, uh, at this point that Data kind of goes like, yeah, but like first we have to deal with these Romulans and... Well, we won't be inviting these Romulans to our party, will we? No, that would not be appropriate. I think the three of these characters embody maybe the three most likely outcomes for anyone who has been frozen and then reanimated. Like that, <laughs> that was my take anyway. There's like three different stages of grief or adjustment based on, sure. on that kind of knowledge. Like Claire, you know, very clearly is like the most emotionally rattled by it. Um, just in the context of like the loss of her family and everyone that she knows, uh, the financier, Ralph, he clearly is most concerned about his possessions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and he's really, it's like, it's, and it's so funny. Like he, he's like, uh, he's like, can somebody at least get me a copy of the wall street journal? Which is like, I mean, that's so fun to think about, right? Like the wall street journal has been around for probably like a couple hundred years or like 150 years or something like that. Uh, impossible to know for sure. But, uh, something in that neighborhood 
is is there a way to imagine a future 370 years from now in which the Wall Street Journal still exists? Well, if J.J. Abrams's Star Trek movie reboot proved one thing, it's that, you know, if a if a brand like Budweiser can exist, <laughs> then I wouldn't put it past the fine newspaper like the Wall Street Journal from surviving all that time. Yeah, well, uh, let's hope that we're headed for the Star Trek The Next Generation future and not the J.J. Abrams Star Trek future, because I don't want there to still be Budweiser that far in, in our in our future. Yeah, I, I think that... <laughs> I think that pretty clearly means that we have not evolved as a species. No, that shit sucks. <laughs> you know what? We better stop right there. We don't want to limit any sort of ad opportunities going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously Budweiser, not not to our taste, but Bud Light Limerita is delicious. And <laughs> no, I'm gonna uh, <laughs> I'm gonna remain disgusted neutral right now. <laughs> oh, is with, that one with, of the uh... with respect to uh, any sort of Budweiser ad opportunity on our show? That's a that's another D and D characterization. Yeah, yeah. As we're learning about each of these three characters, uh, we also come to find that Dr. Crusher has cured all of them from whatever malady they had when they were put into the tube. So uh, Claire's embolism, fine. Uh, Ralph's heart attack, no problem. Uh, Clemens' total organ failure due to drug and alcohol abuse, uh, (laughs) totally reversed, and he's fine. Yeah. In fact, the the first thing he wants to do is uh, order a martini out of the replicator, which seems like a move that you and I could really appreciate. Yeah. I think this is the first time we see the replicator in action, too. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I think that's true. Cool that it was a martini that uh, (laughs) that got made. It's such a funny scene, too, because he's like like ordering like a big old like barbecue meal, and then he's like, ah, heck, I'll just have a martini. (laughs) Which is like, I've never been in in the mood for both barbecue and a martini. Pick one. I guess (laughs) if you're given the choice of choosing anything in the world ever to eat or drink in one moment, I guess guess you could go between those two. The Sonny character, Sonny Clemens character, is is just is is he's played for so much comedy. At some point, he uh, he proposes that he and Data go find a couple of low mileage pit woofies. Why don't you come back later on? You and me will find us a couple of low mileage pit woofies and help them build a memory. He's speaking Riker's language with that. Well, that's the funny thing is that like Data asks Riker what he meant by that and Riker like attempts to lie to Data and say that that's one that's one that he didn't know either. Commander, a low mileage pit woofing? This time you've got me. I haven't a clue. But clearly Riker is just like, no, like I'm going to tell Data I don't know what a low mileage pit woofy is and then I'm going to run back and see if Sonny wants to head to the holodeck with me. Right. I mean, they could put together two piles of pit woofies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, there's going to be pit woofies as far as the eye can see. <laughs> pit woofie pile. <laughs> no dental dams in the future, Ben. Nope. Yeah. Or or shower caps. Um, <laughs> but Offenhouse is really the, the antagonist of this episode, and uh, he's really like a full-blown Ferengi. Like, all he cares about is his money and really, like, 
is super condescending to Captain Picard. He's like, you know, like you're a military man and that's that's fine and noble or whatever, but it's not it's not what a a, a man of excellence like myself gets into to to make a living. Yeah, you're and no you banker. Yeah, you can't possibly imagine like the kind of stress I'm under. But he can't, starts to really get into Picard's lack of hair because he wanders out of the room that they've been asked to wait in, thus further cementing how important it is that at some point they get some locks installed in the fucking doors on the Enterprise, uh, and wanders uh, into a turbo lift and makes it onto the bridge while the Enterprise is making contact with a cloaked Romulan ship. Pretty much the worst timing possible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not only is there a a significant lock problem on the ship, but the idea that anyone on the ship, and we know this to be a ship of families and children, anyone could get on a turbo lift and go to the bridge at any point? That seems like a bad idea. Well, I guess guess it's not like the worst idea if you know that, like, it's your ass if you go to the bridge without, you know, being authorized. But, like... Yeah, but a lot of little kids know it's their ass if they fuck up in a grocery store. And, That's true. And they, it doesn't stop them from doing that. And it's, and especially on a ship where at least one of the little kids who is absent from this episode uh, wandered onto the bridge enough times to get a field commission to Ensign. I would guess that a lot of the children on this ship are probably trying to trying to pull some shit where they, they uh, go on, on the bridge. I'm sorry, is a field commission to Ensign a euphemism for something? <laughs> yeah, there's some. Uh, there's an ointment for that, actually. <laughs> you must be referring to Wesley. The boy. But, uh, yeah, so these Romulans appear on screen. One of them is, uh, is the actor who will go on to play Gul Dukat in the uh, Deep Space Nine series. Um, yeah, I don't know who that is. But uh, he's kind of the uh, he's kind of the um, multi-purpose criminal element, Cardassian uh, guy. He's in, a guy uh, that that the uh, the makeup effects people already have the cast of his forehead, and they just make different forehead molds for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the different aliens. Yeah, this uh, this scene with the Romulans is real weird because they're kind of in a it's like a two shot with two Romulans sitting like like hand in hand essentially on the bridge of their weird ship and it's like do these guys run this ship as like a like a couple or <laughs> like is one of them in charge and the other not or or are they like yeah, co-captains they're, they're, uh, their or? bridge is sort of built around a love seat it looks like yeah <laughs> yeah i really like their whole attitude like uh i didn't find it overly threatening or non-threatening like i i just felt like they struck exactly the right tone of mystery and oddity i mean when they they decloak the ship i that was a real wow moment that's one of the coolest ships that i think we see in the entire series yeah that romulan ship it's hard to tell how big it is because they you know the couple of angles that we get either show it like huge in the foreground and the enterprise like pretty small and you you can't quite tell if that's because the Enterprise is very very far away or because the Romulan ship is way way bigger. Yeah. But um, but it's it's imposing and it's like really interesting design and it's it's a it's a very cool model. The uh, in the moments before this though, 
the Enterprise has been going from sort of outpost to outpost and yeah. and finding nothing. Like, I think they go to three different places and uh, the base or outpost that they're expecting to be there is either just, there's no evidence of it at all or it's there's evidence that it's been completely destroyed. And I think that's right. an interesting bit of trivia because once they get into a conversation with the Romulans, uh, the Romulans refer to their own bases and outposts as being destroyed and, quote, right. carried off. Did you think that was an interesting uh, interesting terminology that they used for that? Yeah, and that uh, that's like, I mean, there's like, you think, of, you think about TNG as being like every episode kind of gets tied up with a bow and nothing changes from episode to episode. And I really think that that's misleading because this is like a huge storyline that runs through several seasons of the show. I mean, it's not like their only focus and it's not something that comes up in episodes that aren't about this storyline, but uh, this is planting like a pretty big seed. And it's interesting because this episode doesn't wind up feeling very plotty at all mm -hmm. because it's, it's really setting the table for this becoming a big television series with like a whole bunch of seasons and you know and a lot of of plots to come um there's almost not an a storyline in this episode you know it's like it's hard to call the stuff with the the unfrozen cavemen lawyers the a storyline and it's kind of hard to call the romulan yeah. stuff the a storyline yeah that's fair but I kind of love that. Like, I, I think it's kind of great. Like, it's 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 a it's a weird episode, but it shows some sort of confidence almost. Like, I I still think that like our discussion of the of the conspiracy of, of the episode conspiracy, uh, you know, I do sort of wish that that was uh, the the closer episode. But this does this this episode is like we're we're gonna make like a great series and this is this is the end of you know a a rocky season one but we're about to fucking blow your minds yeah it's i think that word is interesting the confidence word is interesting to me i think i think you're right in the description of of a writer's room maybe throwing out a bunch of threads just out into the distance like loose, yeah. loose ends that aren't tied up you know with the expectation or the hope that they would chase them down and resolve them yeah and this moment uh contains well this this episode contains a few of those the relationship with the romulans and the very thinly veiled reference to a borg invasion yeah he winds up kind of uh getting them to agree to like sharing some information about what's going on but there's such a great malevolent alien species because they end their communication with with the enterprise by saying like we've been distracted by other more important issues but make no mistake captain picard we are back <laughs> one of their distractions is clearly not getting a good haircut because <laughs> both of them clearly cut their own bangs some yeah. of the most ridiculous haircuts on the show so far are are theirs yeah, they, they got to get that Bolian uh, barber uh, yeah. <laughs> shipped off to the Romulan Empire for a few years, put him onto some of the newest trends in uh, in hair care. They're sporting the mushroom cuts of a special needs child. Damok Angelad at Tanaga. Damok Angelad at 
I think that they sort of the writers probably at this point are realizing like having the Ferengi be the only kind of antagonistic species is pretty boring and pretty stupid. So why don't we just have like a whole pantheon of other aliens that they can encounter? I think this is something that you could only do in a television series that's 25 episodes long in per season. Like yeah. they, they could create a storyline and then course correct either midway or at the end of a season uh, once they decide what's working and what's not. And, you know, in the modern television era where you get 12 episodes, if you, you, yeah, you don't have that chance. If it doesn't yeah. work, then you're stuck with it. And then you're, you're on to either season two or cancellation. And I, I think there's a latitude here that a long episode run per season really gives. And I think that's, that's bared out here at the end. I mean, at least we're just speculating that that's what happened, but I mean, there's a reason that these, that this threat is present and not, and it's not another reference to the Ferengi. As strange an episode as this is, I enjoyed watching it. How about you? Yeah, definitely. I think it ends on a note that might be similar to our own. Like there's possibilities that await new adventures that are out there. It, More shame that we can talk about from our pasts and presents. Yeah, I like that. Um, I had a few things I wanted to discuss with you about this episode. Lay them on me. Some incongruities. Mm-hmm. I thought it was strange that during maybe the most significant diplomatic interaction in, we're told, 50 years, that Counselor Troy is on Ancestry.com in, in some... <laughs> In some condo inside the ship instead of on the bridge. Yeah. And on the bridge instead is fucking Ralph. <laughs> yeah. And there's two security guys that have been like tasked with getting him off the bridge, but they're so awed by the fact that they're looking at a Romulan warbird on right. on the view screen right. that they like take their hands off of his upper arms and just stand there agog. This wasn't an example of of writing kung fu, like in order to make a storyline work better, you know, you remove someone from from the situation in order yeah. to, to add to the conflict. Like, I think the conflict still works if Troy's on the bridge. I think, if anything, it's more interesting if she's there. Yeah. But her absence is, is strange. It is weird. And uh, it's not important that she's being a counselor to someone at that exact moment. No, I mean, like, th- th- I feel like they could easily just put these three people in stasis so that they're not a bother while they're dealing with a potentially incredibly dangerous military situation. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> another another thing I thought was strange was like this is the only episode that I can remember that really addresses the audience and the audience's sen- sensibilities directly like Right. Everything that the Enterprise crew makes fun of with regard to the unfrozen people are uh the popsicle people yeah the popsicles are contemporary issues yeah and they and they basically laugh at them for them like they're they're a punchline yeah and i don't recall them doing this ever again um i wonder if that was a choice if if they got in their licks in this first season episode and they were done with it or what but well, it's sort of a funny, like, reversal of Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. 
you know, where it's like a fish out of water, but in the other direction. Uh, a fish in the water? Like a, I don't know. A, a water on the ra- fish? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a rat in the water? I don't I, know. I'm trying to help you. A land animal in the in the water rather than a fish on the land. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's... I don't know what uh, the best animal to pick is, though, because I feel like a fish is like a generic whatever, but... Who cares? Whatever. Uh, uh, if you have any ideas of <laughs> right into, what animal should be uh, in or out of the water in this particular metaphor, feel free to comment on Greatest Gen. Or don't. <laughs> Picard is pretty irritated by what a dickhole Ralph Offenhaus is. And, you know, Ralph Offenhaus is very condescending to Picard because he really doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Were you sympathetic to all of them? I mean, I think that Offenhaus is really played as a villain, and I nevertheless found there was something to sympathize with in his character. I mean, he uh, he had a few moments of vulnerability where you're like, wow, this guy is like, it's not that he's just a self-important asshole. He's fucking terrified. Right, right. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think uh, I, think I didn't like him, but I understood no. him. Yeah. I am the cutest of all. Lock faces on that vessel. As you were watching, did you come across a great example of being a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I mean, I have to go with uh, Sonny Clemens because he really wants to uh, throw a party and get drunk while uh, while Romulans are buzzing around outside the ship. And uh, what what could be a drunker Shimoda than that, Adam? I'm sure you have an idea. His priority as soon as he gets unfrozen is to get himself a beverage and yeah i think that's go a, shake the doctor down for some pills <laughs> yeah uh slap some doctor ass while he's at it yeah oh man we have to talk about that really quickly the fact that he very brazenly sexually harasses the doctor and she just kind of blushes and demurs was a a, a strange moment i think I mean, I think that this is supposed to be set in a future where gender inequality uh, is more or less defeated. I mean, like, I don't think that they do a perfect job of representing that, but that's the stated ideal of the writers of the show. I think it's weird that Sonny is supposed to be from our contemporary future as well. Like, he's supposed to be... (laughs) Right, this is 1989 and he was frozen in 94, so... Oh, right, so I guess, like, but he's, he's, I guess, pretty modern... Uh, by yeah. our standards but in that case like he should know better right <laughs> do people well, do that now i think i think there's a certain kind of asshole that still does that yeah and he is a certain kind of asshole i think it was so shocking to beverly that that i think she was uh completely frozen yeah much in the same way that he once was <laughs> <laughs> stupid <laughs> i think i think uh Tasha would have kicked his fucking ass. I think Tasha would have broken him in half. Yeah. She would have dropped him over her knee. Yeah. I think uh, Tasha would have beaten him up with that stupid guitar that uh, <laughs> that he made in the replicator. Yeah, that like $5 carnival guitar. It is one of the stupidest guitars <laughs> you will ever see on television. <laughs> Who's your drunk show Adam? Oh, it's clearly Sonny. 
but okay. uh, but I I led to it. I uh, I referred to it a little earlier as the only drinker in the episode. I think yeah. it could only be him. As we bring our first season to a close, uh, do you have any thoughts on what we've done here? Well, Adam, this is not something I ever saw myself doing, but uh, I've had a lot of fun doing it, to be quite honest. Yeah, I uh, think this has been a great success. I, th- I think we've we've really made each other laugh in talking about this show, and uh, at least uh, a couple of dozen people have bothered to write us emails and... A uh, couple hundred people that have been kind enough to leave us iTunes reviews have seemed to laugh as well. Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that and be grateful for it. I think it's been a pretty great experiment so far. And I think we should. there's one thing that we should uh, call out that we're both especially grateful for. And uh, we're uh, recording these well in advance, so this is, uh, this is going to be, you know, kind of old news at this point. But... Uh, I think we can declare victory in our moose knuckle controversy. <laughs> the guy that wrote our iTunes review, our one, the one star iTunes review, taking us to task for misusing the term moose knuckle was kind enough to write in. He bumped us up to four stars on iTunes and uh, admitted that we were right, and he was wrong, and moose knuckle is more conventionally used for when a dude's genitals are all bunched up in a funny way in the front of his pants. If we've accomplished one thing <laughs> in our 26 episodes of this show, it's that. I feel great about it. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what's up next for season two, episode one? Episode one, the child. While preparing to transport a deadly plague to a research lab, the crew is stunned by the announcement of Counselor Troy's pregnancy. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, I can only assume that Riker is involved somehow. <laughs> Do you remember this episode at all? No, I guess I don't. There's two things that I do remember about this. One is that I remember there's a shot at the beginning of the episode that's like a weird like steady cam or handheld shot of walking onto the bridge and it's like somebody's point of view but mm-hmm. it really like pans around and you kind of see like Worf is now in his gold uniform hmm. like it, it, it it's like it's like we are back the the fucking crew is better than ever and here is what's popping off and uh, so I remember that and I'm almost positive it's in this episode that that happens. And the other thing is that Troy has this kid and it's like a search for Spock situation where the kid, every time the, every time the camera cuts away from the kid and we go to another scene, we come back and it's like a different child actor. That's like a couple years older. Interesting. Okay. It's like an accelerated growth period for this kid. But uh, I imagine they use that to heavily overintroduce Dr. Pulaski, who we will be getting to know quite well in the coming weeks. Oh, that's right. Do you think uh, Beverly's inability to defend against sexual harassment is a reason that she was kicked off the ship? (laughs) Oh, man, that is that is the worst kind of victim blaming. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. Uh, This premiere of season two episode was described as uneven. 
and an inauspicious start to the second season. What? Also, you could replace any main character in this episode with a parsnip, and the outcome would be unchanged. <laughs> wow. Well, that is certainly not the root vegetable I would use to swap in for any uh, Star Trek character, but, uh, you know, I guess that's that reviewer's prerogative as a writer. Well, I'm more excited to see this than ever. We get our vetoes back, don't we? Yeah, well, we should think about that. Do we or do we not? We've been we've been implored many times by listeners not to employ the veto because they want us to do shows about even the episodes that we hate watching. Well, I think uh, much like the Romulans in this episode, the threat should always be there. <laughs> Wow. Well, would you invoke a veto on the first episode of a season? No. No, absolutely not. I'm not going not. to either. So I want to save the point it is for, moot, a, at least. for a Troy's mom episode for sure. <laughs> well, there's one per season as far as I remember. So <laughs> Looking forward to that. With that, we should probably cut this off and uh, go back to doing something less shameful than recording a Star Trek podcast. I've been Ben Harrison. Uh, I've been Adam Pranica. If you ever want to talk about uh, any episode this season, you can use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. I am at CutForTime. Ben is at BenjaminAHR on Twitter. We should thank Dark Materia for our wonderful, wonderful theme song. It's really Dark Materia's theme song. We just used it without asking and then asked for permission later, and he was kind enough to say yes. Crime does pay. <laughs> Uh, and with that, we will be back at you next time with a great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a middling at best episode of The Greatest Generation. Bye. See you next season. Yeah.